You can turn in your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to be over at the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13. I always try and take a look at when we have uh, been over these things before, and I noticed that this is one story we have visited pretty frequently over the uh, last um, uh, 15 years or so. We have visited this story six times. I mean, focused on it, not just referred to it, referred to it a whole mess of times, but we've uh, been in this story at least uh, six times. Last time, though, was about a year and a half ago, and this story has so much to teach us. It's a favorite story of mine, not because it's just a, a good story. It's a favorite of mine because it has a good lesson for us to, to learn. So you can open up your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 13 or look up on the screen, whichever you prefer. But there was a hunter who went out in the forest to shoot a bear. Winter was coming. It was going to be a cold, cold winter, and he wanted to have a coat to stay warm. So he's going to shoot himself a bear and make a fur coat out of it. He saw a bear. He lined up his gun to shoot him, and all of a sudden the bear says, Why are you going to shoot me? Now, of course, that'd be pretty shocking for most of us if a bear began to talk to us. But anyway, why are you going to shoot me? He says, well, I need a coat to keep warm. And he says, well, I'm hungry. How about if we reach a compromise? And so they did. They reached a compromise, and he was enveloped in the fur of the bear's coat. And the bear had a good dinner. (laughs) Moral of that story, compromise is never good. We compromise things, folks, we get hurt. We don't always see it first, but we get hurt. We're going to look at somebody here today who did compromise. And we're going to look at a, a number of things. In this. We've been on this series, Give God Something to Work With. That a lot of times Christians think that when we have a situation, when we have a, uh, something that we are facing, that all we need to do is come to God and pray and walk away and we're done. But that's not how it's been done in the Word of God. And that's why most Christians are still facing the same situations they've been facing over and over. A lot of times we think that when God has knowledge of our situation, that He would change it. How many have ever thought that? If God knew what I was going through, He would change it. He wouldn't allow this to go on. If He knew it was this bad, well, I got something for you. God knows all things. God knows all things. I shared with you before the one brother when I was listening to, said that God has no new ideas. Imagine that. Can you imagine never having an idea? God never has ideas. He knows all things. From the beginning, when there was no beginning for God, but from whatever, God has known everything. He's never had an idea. He's never had to solve a problem. He's never had to think, now how can we do that? He has always known The mere knowledge of your problem is not enough to change it. We could spend time on going through the Word of God on that, but we're here to look at another thing. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah. Of Benjamin, The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Gibeah, or Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and the saw blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now, Geba should be rendered in your Bible, Gibeon. And Gibeon is a border city of the inheritance of Benjamin. What Israel is doing, what Saul is doing when they are doing this, is they are taking back a city that God gave to Israel that was captured. 
I'll give you a couple of references for it. If you want to go back and look that up, here you go. I don't think they made your outline because I had to cut some stuff out of your outline, but they're in mine. First Chronicles 14 and verse 16 and Judges 20, 10 and Judges 20 and verse 33. You will go back there and you can see some of these things on, on Gibeon. But it is a city that belongs to, to Benjamin. God had given it to them and it had been taken away. And Saul said, we're going to go take it back. Now, remember what tribe Saul was from? Benjamin. So he's taking it back. Now, the Philistines, he, when they went and took it back, they got mad. <laughs> you ever had that? Somebody steal something of yours and you went to get it back and they got mad at you? That's what's going on. So they got mad and they set their forces to attack Israel. And so then the people became distressed, the Word of God tells us, because the Philistines came up to attack them. Now, understand this. This is true for all of life. Whenever you attack the enemy, whenever you take back ground that he has taken in your life, he gets upset and he comes after you. Here's the problem with a lot of Christians. They read in the word of God, oh, this belongs to me. And they go out there to take it. And all of a sudden, Satan comes against Satan's forces come against them. The enemy comes against them and they get distressed. We shouldn't get distressed. Understand. If you pick a fight with the enemy, he's going to come after you. It's just that the forces that are with you are bigger than the forces that are with him. So don't get a, don't get all messed up about it. Verse four. Now all Israel heard it, said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had become an abomination to the Philistines like they loved them before. And the people were called together at, to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. This doesn't sound good, does it? And they came up and encamped at, in Michmash to the east of beth Aven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. How many of y'all know these are not people who think God has given them the land? These are not people who think that God is fighting for them. Or if they, if they did, they wouldn't be hiding in pits and caves and so forth. Holes, rocks. <laughs> yeah. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. They got out. <laughs> We're not staying here, man. They're mad at us. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. <laughs> this, is, this is not a good situation when all the people you got following you are shaking in their boots. <laughs> and you're going up against a huge multitude. This is, uh, this is not sounding real good. Now, Saul's eyes, the whole time it's going on, he's, he's done okay. He picked an okay fight. He went after it. He's doing what God had called him to do as king. As a king, he was supposed to deliver them from their enemies. This is part of what he's supposed to be doing. But Saul's eyes are on the things happening in the natural realm. How many of you can attest to times in your life when your eyes have been on the things happening in the natural realm? All right, we don't want to speak uh, too much Christian speak there. That we, how many times are your eyes on how big your paycheck is? All right. How many times are your eyes on what your body is telling you? How many times are your eyes on what the news reports about the economy about the rumors that are going around work about who's going to be laid off how many times are your eyes on your children when you see bad traits in them and the enemy says they're going to be bad kids have our eyes ever gotten on the natural things 
Boy, it's sure easy for them to do. I mean, how does it not? Remember Abraham? He considered not his own body. I mean, he would, it didn't mean he didn't know his own body was dead. It means I'm not taking that into consideration. All right. So the army is scattering. The Philistines are gathering and Samuel is not around. Verse 8. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. So if you don't have a whole lot of people, the people that you got are shaking and are scattering. How many of you know you can feel like I got to do something? Right, I, I got to do something. I don't know what yet, but I, I I feel like I ought to do something. Mm-hmm. So Saul said, "Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me." And he offered the burnt offering, and it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. What day did Samuel come to meet Saul? The same day, which was the seventh day. Was Samuel late? No. No. But Saul was early. Why was Saul early? Did he desire to be priest? No. He was waiting for Samuel. But he saw that something needed to be done. Ever been in a situation where you feel like something ought to be done? Well, we ought to do something. I don't know what yet, but we ought to do something. I mean, just think about this. Your car's acting up. You ought to do something because it's not acting right. You ought, to, you ought to do something. So you take it over to the mechanic and he says, well, we ought to do this. And you do that and it's still doing the same thing. So you did something, but it didn't work. It didn't help out. Just doing something doesn't mean you're going to take care of the problem. He did something, but it didn't help his problem out. But it says that Saul, well, he's going to tell us why he did it. Let's go in verse 11. And Samuel said, what have you done? He already knows what's going on. Saul said, when I saw, what's his eyes on? (laughs) What's going on around him? When I saw that the people were scattered from me. And that you did not come within the days appointed. And that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Notice this. People who compromise, people who are in the wrong, always look for other people to blame. Do you have friends who every time something goes wrong, it's somebody else's fault? You have friends like that? Yeah, we all do, don't we? After a while, how many of you just kind of sat there and said, all right, you're going to blame it on him. I know it's your fault. Go ahead and tell me. (laughs) And you're already hearing it. I know it's your fault. What have you done? This is the question. What have you done? He doesn't answer the question. He answers what the people did. He answers what the Philistines did. And he answers what Samuel didn't do. But Samuel's question was this. What have you done? When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come with the days appointed. And that the Philistine gathered at Michmash. Now, this might be a little hard for you to hear. Understand, because, you know, it's in the New King James I'm reading from. So I'm going to put it into another translation. So that you can maybe get hold of this. And the Lord said, what have you done? When I saw that my paycheck was getting smaller. 
when I saw that my mortgage was increasing, when I saw that you did not come by with the job at the appointed time, I decided to do... <laughs> Isn't that right? Come on, how many, how many times are we looking at stuff and we're blaming God? Well, it's your fault because, you know, this was going on and this was going on and this was going on. What were you doing? I'm here working. I'm here in the middle of this. And what are you doing? You're up there in heaven just having a good old time. I'm down here on the earth. I'm the one who's down here trying to pay the bills. I'm the one down here who's trying to get the job done. You're not doing nothing. You're up there in the throne. I read about it. You're up there in the throne having a good old time, all that nice stuff going on around you. But I'm living down in here. Right? That's what we're saying. This is what Saul's saying. He says, well, you weren't here. You didn't know what was going on. You didn't feel the pressure. But I was here. You weren't, but I was here. I'm here in the midst of this. And the people, they're leaving. And the Philistines, they're gathering. And you're not here. So somebody had to do something. So don't you get on my case. Because I did something. Because you did nothing. That's what he's saying. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled. How many of y'all know most times we get in trouble in life is when we feel compelled to do something? Right? We feel compelled. Why'd you do that? Well, I felt like I had to. Well, I felt like I needed to do something. I just felt compelled to, to do that. And it didn't work out so well, did it? <laughs> You know, you ever see the people in the movies? I don't, surely people don't do this in real life, but you see the people in the movies, they get mad at something and they throw their phone. Why do they throw their phone? They feel compelled, I guess. You know, it's not going to solve anything. All they got now is a broken phone. <laughs> I have never thrown my phone. It's not going to do any good. And I like my phone. And I don't want to buy a new one. So we don't throw that phone. But you can feel it. How many times have you felt compelled to do something? You just didn't do it. But you, can, you, under, you understand what he's going through. The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. So he says, my main concern was things weren't right between me and God. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Now, Samuel comes along as soon as he finished. How many get the picture that Samuel's sitting over there and I'm supposed to leave yet? No, don't go yet. You wait. Don't go yet. Can I leave now? No, don't go yet. Can I leave now? God says, all right, now go. And he starts going. He starts to, maybe he's going in a hurry pace because, you know, he, he needs to be there. God says, you slow down. You go normal. You walk normally. Yes, sir. And so he had to slow down, you know, get because he had to be there at a certain time. So he's getting there. I don't know all that went on, but Samuel knew when to arrive. Saul was being tried to see what he's made of and found out he's not made of much. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. In other words, you were being proven. And if you would have proved right, your kingdom would have been established forever. The whole purpose of this was to see if you were made of the right stuff because God wanted to take you and establish you forever. That's what he is saying right here, isn't it? It was all on this. Everything in your life led up to this moment. We were waiting to see. Would he wait? Or would he feel compelled? Would he give in? And he felt compelled. And he gave in. And when he was confronted with it, what did he do? 
well, it was them and it was them and it was you. It wasn't me. I just did what I could do to try and help this situation out. That is not a leader. A leader does not look for people to blame. Weak leaders do, but not good ones. Good leaders stand up and say, we need to get busy. We're going to take this on. All right, we've, we came up short before, but now we're going to... That's what a real leader does. Thank God in, around the country we still have a few leaders. But it looks like they're getting smaller and smaller because most of them are out there trying to blame other people. Well, it's their fault. Well, it's their fault. It's, well, they did it. That's not a leader. And Saul proved himself to not be a leader because he sat there and blamed other people. And God says, all right, you're not the stuff. You are not made of the stuff. I, I picked you because I thought inside of you was the ability to do it. I knew you could make any choice that you wanted to. And I brought you to that point where you made all these things going on in your life to bring you to this point so that you could come here and you could be proven to be true. Abraham was proven with, with his son. And what did he do? He, he went through. David was proven. And David, he came through. Sometimes he didn't. But if he's going up to be that king, you know, Saul's in his hands. No, I can't kill him. That's the Lord's job. He's being proven. And he passed it. How many times have we been facing situations in life where God is simply given... He's not trying to break us. He has simply brought us to... He knew the enemy, what the enemy is going to do. When you take that city, the enemy is going to get mad at you. They're going to come up against you. Now, are you going to trust in me or are you going to do something else? He's watching. Now, prove yourself. I'm pulling for you. Come on. Do it. Prove it right because then I can put all this stuff on you. Then you're telling me, I'm ready to handle this. Don't you do that with your kids? What do you need to see before you buy your kids a phone? An iPod. What do you need to see out of them? How many want to see maybe handling their toys well? (laughs) Maybe uh, when you give them a few things to take care of, they take care of them well. Maybe when you say, do these things, they do them well. Because when you give them that phone, you're going to be saying, all right, only call these people or, or do this thing because, you know, we have a limited plan or whatever. So we need you to, we, we know that you can rein in control. And so you what? You prove them with these other things to see if they are ready for that blessing. And until they pass, what do you do? I'm not paying for a phone for you. Uh-uh. You're not showing me anything. You'll break that phone in a week. They got to, they got to do that. Now, it's not that you don't like your kids. What are, you, what are you trying to do? I want to bless you with this. I, I want to give you one of these things. I want, to, I want to bring you to this place, but you got to show me that you can handle it. What do you say before your child turns 16 and they want to get that learner's permit? I, I want to see how you handle responsibilities. I want to see how you do things around the house. I want to see when I say such and such, you do it. If they're not doing that, are they getting the keys to your car? no 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 and they may cry and they may plead and they may beg oh please i gotta go i wanted it's simple if you do this stuff that's it do this stuff and but i don't want to do that stuff well then you don't get the car (laughs) right that's all there is to it do the thing and you get the car that's what god is trying to do he is trying to bless us with great things. And in order to get great things, we've got to be proven that we can handle them. And then once we prove, God, see that? 
I stayed faithful. Yes, you did. Good job, man. I was pulling for you to do that. Here you go. He's ready to bless us with something. I would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. In other words, the line of the Messiah would have come through Saul. David would never have been sought after. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Not what the Philistines did. Not what the children of Israel did. Not what Samuel did. What's he saying? What you did. You have not kept what the Lord commanded you. What did the Lord command you? Go and wait seven days and I will come and make the sacrifice. And he didn't do it. And Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin and Saul numbered the people present with him about 600 men. That's not a whole lot when you got a multitude, is it? If you went on, and if you haven't read this story, the rest of the story, it's a great story to read. Go on home and read the rest of it. What is going to happen in the rest of the story? I'm going to give you the, the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> What's going to happen is a victory is still produced. Saul goes to the war, and they still beat the Philistines. How does that work? He messed up. He offered a sacrifice. He shouldn't have done all those things. How does it work that he got the victory? And here's a problem that a lot of Christians have when they're in their Christian walk. We think that if we do something a certain way and we get the answer, we must always do it that way again. We don't understand that there's a mercy of God. There's sometimes that God has done things for us in his mercy. God had mercy on Israel, not so much Saul, but he had mercy on his people. And despite what Saul did, he went ahead and gave Israel the victory. But Saul messed up. And Saul's the one who lost out. But Israel's not going to. Just I put this in your outline. Just because things worked doesn't mean things were right. Don't ever judge how things were done by their outcome. Judge it by the word of God. Too many Christians are going around judging circumstance or judging the word in light of their circumstances. You cannot judge the word in light of how your life goes. You must judge the word. You must judge your circumstances in light of the word. How many of y'all have an Aunt Bessie who died of a certain disease and somebody comes up to you and says, well, you know, Aunt so-and-so, they died of that. So I don't know that God always wants to heal everybody. That's interpreting situation or the word through situations. You can't do that. You can't do that. If you do, you won't ever overcome. You won't ever do what the word of God has to say. So just because things work doesn't mean things were right. We have to go beyond what is seen to know what God says about them. Now, formulas often produce partial obedience. People come up with formulas. Well, how many of you have ever seen that formula? I, I, no, I don't get a paper. It's been years since I got a paper, but I know they used to publish them. People would publish certain prayers and they'd put them in the thing because if you would pay to put it in and publish and I don't know what the conditions are. They had conditions they had to meet and all these things were done. Then your prayer would be answered. It's a formula. When we get into formulas, we set ourselves up to have partial obedience. God does not want us to have partial obedience. He wants us to have true Full obedience. Saul partially obeyed. He showed up. He waited almost seven days. 
but he didn't quite take it to the full seven days. When we operate in this area, this area of a formula, all we see is that something needs to be done. How many of you can look at your life and say something needs to be done? Somebody ought to do something because something needs to be done. <laughs> yep. Principles, that's where we want to be. Partial obedience is caused by, there's four things that we're going to look at what causes partial obedience. This is not an exhaustive list. You could probably pull out some other things. we got four things in here that we mostly deal with that causes us to be in a place where we are partially obedient. Not quite fully obedient, but partially obedient. First off is ignorance. Basically, I don't know. How many of y'all know if you don't know something, you can't do it? Leviticus 5 and verse 18, And he shall bring to the priest the ram without blemish from the flock with your evaluation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it. There were provisions in the word of God for people who missed it, who messed up because they didn't know. Ezekiel 45 verse 20, And you shall do on the seventh day of the month for everyone who has sinned unintentionally or in ignorance. If you sin one time unintentionally or in ignorance and you make a sacrifice for it, can you do it again? <laughs> you just learned, didn't you? Acts chapter 3, verse 14. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the feet which comes through him, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He said, you didn't know. So we're not... There are certain provisions when you just don't know something, and you did it in ignorance. But ignorance can be cured, and we need to live our life to cure us of ignorance. We need to keep studying. We need to keep going after the Word of God. Well, there's Ephesians 4 too. You can read that at home if you want to. Um, here's the second area. Neglect. This one hits us a little bit harder. Neglect. Basically, I don't care. I don't care. Joshua 18, verse 1. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there and the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not received the inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which your Lord has, the Lord God of your fathers has given you? They are not ignorant, are they? They know about it. They are neglecting of it. Now, we've, we've all been guilty of neglect. How many, when you were little, had the job, cutting the lawn, taking the trash out, washing the dishes, whatever it might be, you have certain chores, certain things you're supposed to do around the house, and how many know you have become, at times, neglectful? Did you cut the lawn? No. Foot and a half high is kind of tall. We've been neglecting. A lot of times we have neglected the things that we know to do. We know this ought to be done. We're just neglecting. Now, in life, how many times have you neglected something? How many have ever neglected some maintenance on your car? You know it needs to be done. I know I need to do it. <laughs> I know I should do it. I know the car would be better off if I did it. But why don't you? 
Well, first off, it might cost some money that you don't feel like you have. That's a, that's the a reason. So, uh, okay, I'm neglecting that, but it's because I need more money to get it done. Sometimes it's, I just don't have the time to drive it up there. I don't have the time to leave it with the mechanic. Or maybe it's a maintenance item that you're going to do yourself. And, you know, every time you're at home, well, there's this to do and there's this to do and then there's this to do and then there's this to do. And, well, I just haven't gotten around to that. I, I need to, I need to do that. I need to get that done. Come on, we all got, we got things at home that are sitting there right now. How many of you got a list right now? You're thinking about it. <laughs> there's some things right now I am neglecting. <laughs> I should do them. I know I should do them. It'd be a whole lot better if I get them done. But I'm not doing it just yet. You know, one of those things you got to do with a lawn tractor every year, you got to change out the oil. I have neglected to do that yet. I got a good reason for it, though. <laughs> I don't have the parts. I've already gone over to Sears and I said, I need this because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a different lawn tractor. You don't just put oil in this lawn tractor. No, 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 no. Not only do you need oil, you need an oil filter. Yeah, I saw that on the thing. I said, I got to get an oil filter for this. So I went on in there and said, well, we need to know exactly what the model is in order for us to tell you what oil filter you need to put on there. Really? I can't just say it's that one right there. No, because it might be, you know, depending upon what year you got, it might be a different, different size. We got to make sure it's the right one. So, so I went on back and I took a picture of the sticker that's on the lawn tractor. So when I go into Sears again, I can show them the sticker. This is what I got. What do I need? Give it to me. <laughs> then we can get on out there. And, 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 but you know, you're, you, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of pestering you. How many have ever woken up in the middle of the night or just can't sleep at night or wake up early in the morning thinking about something? I should do that. Oh, I should have done that. I didn't do it. Oh, we're neglecting some things. I know it's there. I know I should. But other things seem to be more important. Other things seem to be more pressing at the time. And so we're, we're focusing on those other things. It's not like you're lazy. It's not like you're not doing anything. It's just you're not focusing in on, on that. And so this area is being neglected. We started a, a program here but, uh, a couple of weeks ago, reading the Bible through, chapter a day. How many of y'all know it's not hard to read a chapter a day? Don't raise your hand. But how many can say, I've been neglectful already? Heh <laughs> So, all right, pick it back up again, get on in there and, and start. It's only a chapter a day you're reading, five days a week, two days off, five days a week reading. You can catch up really fast. End of the year, we're going to read through the entire New Testament together. Get on Facebook. How many have neglected getting on Facebook? Mm-hmm. Why? I don't think it's important. Yeah, I know. I know. We've told you before, we had those four goals. One of those goals with our church was Interaction. Interaction. We need, we have great, when we are together, folks, we have some of the best interaction of any church I've ever been in. Fantastic interaction. Great stuff. A great encouragement with each other. But we want more of that through the week. I want you guys to be able to interact and encourage each other through the week. If you've got another place, a better place to do it than Facebook, then you tell me about it. That's what I thought. <laughs> I'm just having fun with you. Now I'll get it out there. This is one of our Sundays, too. We picked out to have uh, lunch together. We're First and third. Hope you're hanging out for that. When we interact, we can encourage each other. When we're reading the Bible and we see other people are reading the Bible, it can it helps us in our in our walk. We need to have that kind of stuff going on. Anyway, that's just a side note. So here in Joshua, they were neglecting taking the land. 
several tribes neglected to take the land. It was supposed to be theirs. They didn't take it. 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. That means that you can take the gift of God that is on the inside of you and neglect it. It's not the will of God. God doesn't want you to neglect it, but you can do it simply because you are focusing on other things. Other things. If the enemy was going to try and mess with you, he's going to take you out of the area where God has gifted you to distract you into something else. He's going to try and pull you off into another area. How many of y'all know, how many have ever tried a diet? Whether it's a diet to gain weight, whether it's a diet to lose weight, whether it's a diet to be healthy, whatever the diet is, we've all gone out there and tried some kind of a diet. And you all know that whatever diet you want, things come along to distract you, to pull you off of the path that you are on. Come on, we've been there. And we've all been on, I've been on diets. I have been on a bunch of different diets. I've been on some diets for high protein and low fat. I have been on some diets where I, I, I boycotted all desserts. Every single one of them. Except once a week I let myself, let myself have ice cream. Once a week. No more. That was it. That was my... And, and uh, sometimes I would step it up where I wouldn't even do the one time. Nothing. No desserts. Nothing at all. All I ate was carbohydrates proteins, and I ate a lot of them. I told you my diet in college was 4,800 calories per day. And that is not easy to do. Now, I'm not up to, who is it, Michael Phelps? That the, uh, the, the, the swimmer guy. Is that Michael Phelps? Doggone. What was he eating? I mean, it was more than mine. I think it was up around 9 or 11. He had, he had to eat so much, he could not just drink water. It had to be a sports drink because he needed the calories from it to get to his... Because he, he worked out a lot. Whew. Yeah, that was, that was something else. So we've all been on diets. We've all had different diets that we've been. And whenever you get on a diet, how many of you all know people at college that would come into the light ta- to the lunch table, knew about my diet, and would wave their desserts in front of me? <laughs> Look what I got. It's cookies. It's cake. You want some? They would do it. They would try and distract me. They would do so. But, you know, whatever it is that you focus yourself to do, there is going to be stuff that comes along to distract you so that you do what? Neglect. Whatever it is that you're doing. That you neglect it. That you don't take as much time and put into that as, as you, you should. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. You can do it. Third one is fear. I didn't put any scriptures in there for you. You can write these down if you want to. This one we all pretty much know. Uh, neglect is I don't care, fear, I can't. Basically, we're saying to ourselves, I can't do it. I got fear. Fear moves up on the inside of me. Second Timothy 1, seven, For God has not given us a spirit of? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Matthew 14, verse 30. But when he saw the wind was boisterous and was afraid and began to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately the, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And we see in that story, We covered it just a little while ago that doubt is equated to fear. When you are fearful of something, there is something that you are doubting. You are doubting God's love. You are doubting God in some area that fear has come up on the inside of you and you are not doing it because you are afraid. 
you're fearful. And you don't step out and you don't do it. Now, I'm going to take a little side journey on this. Looking at Peter, he's in the boat. He says, if it is you, bid me to come. And he says, Jesus says to him, what? Come. come. And so he steps out of the boat and he walks on the water. Does Peter possess the ability to walk on water? <laughs> Apparently, he's walking on water, right? <laughs> he's walking on water. He possessed, when did he possess that ability? When Jesus said, come. come. That put in him the ability to walk on water. And he walked in that. But then all of a sudden, he started sinking. Why? Did he lose the ability to walk on water? No, No, he still had the ability to walk on water. He gave in to fear. Fear will negate the power that you've been given on the inside of you. You still have the power. But fear will will negate it. So many Christians go back to God and ask for God for the same thing again. But they already have it. They just aren't walking in it because of fear. One more, Mark 5, 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Another time when doubt, unbelief is equated with fear. Here's the fourth one. And this is the one we want to see most, most about. This is number four, distrust. I'm not sure. Second Samuel chapter 2, verse 29. You, for you are my lamp, O Lord, the Lord shall enlighten my darkness, for by you I can run against a troop. How many of y'all like that verse? By you I can run against a troop. So we face the troop, then we run away. <laughs> Why? Because we got fearful. <laughs> but by, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in He is a what? He is a shield to who? All who trust in Him. Is He a shield for those who do not? No. Is He a shield for all Christians? No. He is a shield for all who trust in Him. If we don't trust in Him, He cannot be our shield. He'd like to be. Because He says He's a shield for all who trust in Him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is our rock except our God? God is my strength and power and He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. How many have ever bent a bow of bronze? I want you to get the picture of this. A bow of bronze is hard to bend. Look at what he says about this. He, he's, uh, where, do we, where do we leave off at? 35. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. What is it that causes him to be able to bend a bow of bronze? It's right there in the verse. What he taught him. So often we face trying to bend a bow of bronze and we can't do it and we think it's ability. It's not. When God teaches you and you hear it, you can even bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. And I have destroyed them and wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose against me. The entire chapter there is phenomenal. You can go back there and read the whole thing. We just pulled out a part of it. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. Then you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your 
God in whom you trust deceive you, saying Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Israel. How many of you have people around you that tell you when you say, I am trusting in God for this, they tell you, don't you trust in God? God's not going to come through. I had an aunt. I had an uncle. I had a friend. They trusted in God and they died. Look, you have heard the kings of Assyria have done in all the lands by utterly destroying them and you shall, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those who by fathers, by whom my fathers have destroyed? There's always examples of people that have failed. There's always examples of people who have not gotten through. But those who trust in the Lord. <laughs> Different story for them. First Chronicles 5.20 And they were helped against them and the Haggites were delivered into their hand and all who were with them for they cried out to God in battle and he heeded their prayer because what? They put their trust in him. Psalms 2 and verse 12 Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Psalm 5.11 But let all those who rejoice who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Psalm 18.30 As for, the, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven and he is a shield to all who trust in him. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. There's other things you can put your trust in, and your trust is in something. He says if you put it in God, different things happen. Psalm 37, 1 through 5. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. Trust also in Him. And who will bring it to pass? He will bring it to pass. But you've got to have that trust. You've got to bring that trust in. This is an area where a lot of us Christians need to grow in. We need to trust more. And trust is not an absolute thing. It's not like, well, I'd, all right, I just trust God. No, trust is a, is a thing that we grow on. And our trust must increase. Now, I've asked our guys to put something up here on the screen. We have that ready? All right, put the first one up on there. How many of y'all would walk on this bridge? Anybody want to walk on there? I mean, you can see it's a pretty good ways down. Looks like a pretty sturdy bridge. Anybody want, anybody want to walk on there? I'm going by myself. Okay, go on to the next one. How about that one? That is a bridge. <laughs> that is a bridge. I, I was looking at this, and I really don't see any... Any, any rails, that's the word. Yeah, I don't see any. Do you see any? I don't see any. <laughs> Apparently, though, people walk on that. Not right now. <laughs> Go on to the next one. How about that one? That one's got some rails. Anybody want to walk on that? Okay, no? Go on to the next one. We have another one in there? Okay. How about this one? This one's over in Afghanistan if you want to take a little trip. <laughs> so they're in Afghanistan and you can see the water underneath. That looks pretty inviting, doesn't it? Go for a little dip. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a real good bridge. Go ahead and go ahead. Do we have another one? What do you think? That's only for people to walk across. There's nothing else they can go across there and it's kind of a V. Uh, you just, you know, narrow apart for your feet and a little wider out. And, now I had other pictures. 
some of them are just a little too small to bring over here to the screen. But uh, if you want to have some fun, go up there and just look at the, mo the world's most scariest bridges, something along the scary bridges or something like that, and you can, you can find all, you can just have some fun looking at some bridges. People actually built these things, and people actually walk on them on a regular basis. Now, how is it that you walk on these bridges? It, just imagine that you were a person who would walk on these bridges. How is it that you walk on this bridge? You have to trust that the thing is going to hold you up. If you don't trust that that's going to hold you up, oh yeah, I forgot that one. <laughs> I love this bridge. This one, this one's in the fog most of the time. I've seen pictures about this. And um, I didn't get, I didn't find them, but you should see where that rail that's holding it goes to. <laughs> that is, uh, that is quite a, that is just for observatories. You're just for going out there and observing stuff. But man, they got some phenomenal bridges out there. And you just wonder, who conceives of these things? I mean, why go all the way around like that? Why not just, don't know. But if you're going to walk on these bridges, you need to develop, you need to have a trust that the bridge is going to hold you. If you don't trust that the bridge is going to hold you, you won't walk on it. How do you develop trust that the bridge is going to hold you? <laughs> See, that's the secret. That's the thing we got to do. The way that you develop trust that a bridge is going to hold you. Ready for this? Walk on it. Is there any other way? Can you develop trust of the bridge on the sideline? You cannot do it, can you? There's no way I am ever going to grow to the place where I'm going to walk on that bridge and develop trust standing on the sidelines. I'm going to walk out maybe, you know, two or three feet and then maybe come back. Well, you know, that did okay. I'm going to watch other people and I'm going to walk and go a little bit further and then I'm probably going to come on back. <laughs> and then maybe I go a little bit further until finally we get to the point where we feel like, I, I, I think I can make it. How, how many... How many have never gone over a bridge ever in your life? So you have all gone over bridges, right? So there are some bridges that you trust. And there are some bridges that you don't. The way that you bridge the gap is that you walk on some of the, you, you keep going on some of those bridges that you trust until you get into some bigger bridges. And then you walk on those for a while and get some trust in that. And then you walk on some other bridges. If your goal was to walk on a bridge like this, you got to start on some smaller bridges, don't you? And you work on some, some, some bigger bridges. How many of you have some favorite bridges? Anybody have a favorite bridge? Any, any bridge that's not over two feet off the ground, right? That's a favorite bridge. You like that kind of a bridge? You know, one of my favorite bridges is the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. How many have ever been over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge? I love that. My first time over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge was in a truck. I knew it was coming. I knew I'd taken this truck into the tunnel under the water. I couldn't wait to get there. <laughs> oh, I was so looking forward to the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Uh, there, there have been times I've gone down that way and made sure that I took that way so that I could go over the bridge. Oh, it's just, I think it's just a, a neat thing. But you, you go on those bridges that you can cross until you build up a trust to go other. You've got to have your sights set ahead. But you begin to build up your trust here. This is what God is doing with us. God is giving us situations God has given us opportunities to be proven. God has The enemy is coming along and giving us situations too in which our trust in God can be developed. And as we trust, as we develop that trust and the bigger situations that are coming, 
as those situations come, we are ready for them because we have tackled the smaller bridges to get ready for the ones we know are coming. The bigger bridges are coming. There's things that are out there that are coming your way. What are you doing to get ready? You have got to build up your trust in God because the only thing that will cause you to falter is to doubt Him, is to not trust Him. Go through the stories in the New Testament. Jesus with His disciples. How many times did they lose trust in Him? And each time, they got into trouble. Don't lose trust. Truth or trust is not a lack of fear. Sometimes we think that. Trust is not a lack of fear. It's not a lack of uncertainty. But the presence of obedience and steadfastness. That's all the trust is. Trust is simply, God, I will obey. If you say, come, I will come. And I will stay on that course no matter what wind and waves come against me. It is built through the little things so we are ready for the big things. You've got some little things going on in your life right now. And God is dealing with you. God is preparing with you. God is giving you what you need to get through those little things so that when you come to the big stuff, it won't throw you. It won't knock you off your socks. You are going to stay steady and stay good. You're going to keep on going because they're going to be coming a time. There might be a time in our life like Saul had where, all right, Saul, it all comes to this. Now trust me. And in one day, everything that Saul built his life for came crashing down because on the big test that it came, he didn't pass it. We've looked at the story before. Daniel came to a big testing day himself. He even knew that day was coming. And it says when he knew the documentation was signed, he went into his room and he prayed three times that day just like he always did. And they came and they got him and they hauled him before the court. And they said, you have to go into the den of lions. And he went into the den of lions. And we've looked at the word of God before and we found out that the greatest vision that Daniel had in his life came in the same year that Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. It is very possible it came on the same night. He passed the test. He was proved. And God says, Daniel, I've, handled, I've thrown a lot at you, but I know you can handle it now because you won't compromise. You won't give in. So here, here is a dream, and this is telling you everything that's going on down the road. It was an awesome dream. It was a dream we still study to this day. Where is your life? Is God moving you along? Are you moving along with Him? Are you staying stagnant? Are you looking for opportunities to stretch Trust a little bit more. We've all, we just talked about diets a little bit ago. We all know with, if you have a diet to lose 20 pounds or gain 20 pounds or whatever it is that your diet is supposed to do, let's just say you're going to lose 20 pounds on your diet. How many of y'all know you don't go on a diet today and lose 20 pounds tomorrow? Wouldn't that be nice if you could? What happens? You stay on that diet after a couple of days, maybe a week, you lose a pound. Oh, you're excited. And you, you, you stay on that for a little bit longer, another week or so, and you lose what? Another pound, maybe two pounds. And you're excited. This is good. This is working, right? It's little by little. Trust is built little by little. And God is trying to give you opportunities to build trust in Him because then you give Him something to work with. He says over and over, if you trust me, I'm your shield. If you trust me, I'm a shield to all who trust Him. So if we can get you to that point where you will trust me, 
no matter what's going on in your finances, no matter what's going on with your friends, no matter what's going on in your family, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what is going on wherever you are, if you will learn to stay in the area of trust, I will be a shield and nothing will come near you. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the great shield that you are. All we need to do is learn to trust. Just learn to trust in you. It's a lesson that you continually teach us. We go through the Word of God and we can see all the situations you put some of the great men of faith through. Some of the ones that they just came into because of living a life for you. But however it is they came into them, they continued to trust you. The disciples were fearful and ran off when the cross came. But after that, Holy Spirit came upon them and they went out and they were bold. And though people threatened their very lives, they never lost that trust. They kept on. Our trust can grow. Where we are now will not be where we are in a week or two or a month or a year. We can continually grow. We can make ourselves ready. So when we face those great caverns that need to be crossed, we can walk across because of the trust we have built. We thank you for the help that you give us. Thank you, Father, that we can trust in you. No matter how many people bring us nasty stories, why we shouldn't trust in you. We have confidence in your word. We believe in your word. To trust in you. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This being the first Sunday of the month, it is our communion Sunday. As our ushers are going around distributing the elements to you. We learn from the Word of God that on the same night which Jesus was betrayed, that He brought them into this to teach them about the new covenant. And He said to the disciples, He says, As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of Me. Remember what it is that has been done. So Paul takes us back into the upper room and he tells us what had happened in the upper room and we find out that before supper even began, he took the bread And he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The Word of God then tells us that after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this blood of the new covenant covers us. It washes away our sins. No longer do we need the blood of bulls and goats to cover them up. But his blood washed us clean from all sin. He did it in two different parts. He had a whole dinner separate them because he wants us to remember that in his body, on his body, by his stripes, was put the curse of the law. That his body took the brunt of our poverty. It took the brunt of our sickness and disease. We don't bear that anymore. But he says, my body would take that. Isaiah tells us very clearly, by his stripes, we are healed. But then after supper, he took the cup. And we know that there is nothing to be added to the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Our works, nothing. It's just his blood. If his blood is sufficient, and if salvation was only about us getting free from sin, why is the body there? And the body is there for a reason. Because Jesus 
Salvation was in two parts. One for the curse of this law in your body and the other in your spirit, which is the sin. And he took care of both of them. Don't ever lose sight. He's telling us, don't ever lose sight of both parts because he did both. He didn't just die on the cross for our sins. He was beaten. He was bruised. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Let's take the bread together and eat together and remember what he did. Again, after supper, he took the cup. This represents the blood of the new covenant. Salvation is simple. The sacrifice that Jesus did is done for us. In the same way that one man brought all mankind into sin, one man brings us all out. All we need to do is trust in him and believe in him. Let's drink together and remember what he did. Glory to God. How many have those praise reports ready? Let me wrote some stuff. Can we get some ushers to go around there and collect those and bring them on up? They'll be out there every week. Every week I want you to come in. I want you to be trained in this. Every week I want you to be looking as you're living life in the week. I want you to be saying, what is God doing for me? Write it down somewhere so when you come to church, you don't forget it. Write it down on one of those pieces of paper and we're going to let everybody know what it is that God has done for you. Yep, we'll get to that in just a second. Hang on, just a minute. Give me, uh, give me what you got so far. If you got some more to go get, that's fine. Let's start reading some of these. Nicole, I was worried. See, I, I got that trumpet thing going on here. <laughs> My iPad, I can make them bigger. <laughs> I was, you know what? Can you read them? I'm going to have a hard time reading them. You read them. No, you can hold it. Okay. All right, this is going to make me cry. Because <laughs> it has to do with my grandbaby. We'll do that at the um, end. We'll do that at the end. Okay. <laughs> or you can cry at the I'll end. I'll do it later because I cry. <laughs> um, Sharon did not have to pay for... <laughs> Amen! <laughs> oh, God. Did not have to pay for a parking ticket at Temple. Um, I won on appeal. Praise God. It's funny because I just got one myself. And I'm like, I didn't park there. Okay, Naz, um, God is promoting me gradually where I work on my new job. He's only been there a month, which was a, an answer to prayer as well. And also with an increase, I also have been praying um, the prayer that, from the Hicksons for continued favor and um, to over-exceed the expectations of my employer. <laughs> Amen. Good prayer. We just talked about that before. Um, God saved me from two car accidents two weeks ago. Oh. Praise God. Angels watching over us. Hallelujah. Kathy Alexander, praise God for teaching me to exercise my authority as a believer. Lots of opportunities to practice this this week. You have to understand our authority. That's awesome. Daryl, um, because he has greatly increased me. Amen. Business. Yep. Oh, his business has greatly increased. Yep. Good deal. Yeah. Chelsea, restaurants are notoriously low, slow in the month of May when the weather gets nice, which means waiters and waitresses... Um, take a major pay cut. I have made more money this week than I have than I ever have as a waitress. Yeah. Praise God. <laughs> Favor. Um, where else are we here? Oh, okay, this one's mine. I had a bunch of them. Um, God gave me revelation into a situation that I had been dealing with. Um, I had been having some weakness in my arm, but he strengthened my arm so I could accomplish the projects that I had to do. And the financial blessings have been coming in. And Yesterday was, an, was a really awesome one. Um, I was encouraged by the love that I saw in actions of some strangers um, toward another person. It was really awesome. That yeah, was cool. 
Um, Mandy, my mom is doing really well. Nauseousness is subsiding. She's working with a physical therapist to walk, and overall she's feeling much better. <laughs> Cancer's going in Jesus' name. Mercy, in Proverbs 13:22, the wealth of a sinner is stored up for the, for the righteous. Um, Oh, special. I got a special gift. That's what it is. I got a special gift. Amen. <laughs> Jolly, a sister received two checks after God's intervention. Um, my, my brother passed his medical board in West, uh. West Africa region. Amen. And this one was... Before you start crying. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, the one... <laughs> I'm like, who died? Wait, wait. Um, the washer died, but we have cash to buy a new one and not credit. Amen. <laughs> Don't like doing things on credit. Mm. Um, JJ was able to feel the baby move for the first time last night. I don't know who JJ is. Um, Nikolai, my son-in-law. <laughs> Further solidifying that baby is blessed, growing, and highly favored. And coming in August. <laughs> oh, that's good. Keep them coming. Every week, no matter how small, I want you to write something down and bring it on in for us to be able to read here at the end of the service or sometime during the service. We want to know what God is doing in, uh, in our lives, and it just encourages other people for us to hear that. The story she was talking about with uh, somebody who got blessed, we were able to make some bunk beds for somebody in the military. Whenever we find somebody in the military to make bunk beds for, we try and discount them and stuff, especially when they tell us that the husband's away overseas, and this one, her husband is going to be away overseas for almost, or has been for a while, will be a whole year that he'll be away by the time he comes back. So we had set it up, and we discounted it, and we're going to dis, uh, deliver it and set it up or, for all that. And um, So um, we're trying to schedule the time to get there to, to meet her. And they said the gate for the base doesn't open up until 10 a.m. I said, that's too late for me. So I'm going to go down and do the first one, which is all the way down in Sea Isle City. And so he saw the beds up on top, and he was asking about them. I says, well, uh, I have a family. I'm going to be delivering these two. He said, they're military, and uh, he's, he's overseas. And so we went through, we set up his whole bed, and we got all done in Seattle City and not the end. And he says, can I walk you out to the truck? He walked me out to the truck, and he says, how much is their bill? And I, I told him, and he says, we'll pay it. So I was able to show up at the house with the folks in the military who had the, had the thing. I said, it's all paid for. You don't have to pay for a thing. <laughs> oh, they were, they were excited. So we got to be part of a really neat, uh, neat blessing that was there.